Hi friend, if you love the information you hear in the podcast, then you will love the free mini series of videos that I've put together just for you. It's all about the biblical blueprint for health and teaches you exact principles I've taught to thousands of Christian women that result in weight loss, better sleep, increased energy, clearer skin, and sharper brains. You can go to thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries to grab this free set of short, powerful teachings that will show you how to create better health God's way. It's at thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries. Go check it out now. Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? I was recently listening to a podcast and in this podcast, someone referenced this woman who teaches traditional cooking methods and has a website called God's Good Table. And I was like, wait, why don't I know about this person? And so I popped over to her website and um, read through it. And I, I knew immediately that we would click that we were very much aligned in our approach and I wanted to have her on the podcast to talk about God's provision and how we choose and prepare foods for their maximum nutrient density. And Maureen Diaz is here with us today. I'm so excited. She's been learning, studying, and sharing traditional healing and cooking for over 30 years. And I'm excited to get to pick her brain and to introduce her um, to y'all and just chat about the Bible and food and our amazing bodies. So welcome Maureen to the Christian Health Club podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chelsea. I'm so happy to be here. And it's so funny because I had heard about you and I was checking you out and then, and I was thinking, I told my daughter, who's my business partner, we've got to get in touch with this Chelsea Blackbird. Um, <laughs> and then you wrote me. <laughs> oh, and so, that, so, oh, that was a total God thing for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, God That's, works. Uh, we always say God works in mysterious ways, and He does. But sometimes it's not so mysterious either. I think we were, we're both on the same track, seeking the same things, and uh, so that puts our trajectories at an intersection. So. That's true. But sometimes I'm surprised when I, you know, I come across um, like your website or somebody like you and I'm like, but I really am like, wait, how did I not know about this already? You know? And so, um, but it, it sounds like it was time. God was ready for us to meet and this is the perfect yeah. time. And so I'm so glad you're here. Why don't we start by just kind of tell us about your background and how you got started on this health journey and how you um you know related it to biblical principles and just kind of give us the whole the whole backstory okay so this is my backstory i grew up one of six children in a household with a mom who who stayed at home and kept us fed and clean and all of that stuff 
but I remember so clearly her pinching pennies and clipping coupons and doing everything she could to feed us as cheaply as possible. And I'm not using the word inexpensive because it really is cheap. There's a difference. Um, at the same time, I watched as she struggled with her own health ailments, which were multitude. Um, she was, I believe she was diabetic. If she wasn't diabetic, she certainly was pre-diabetic. Um, she would have blood clots. She would have uh, asthma attacks. Um, just a whole host of conditions that sometimes landed her in the hospital. And I was always, uh, well, as a young child, I would just observe and wonder. But when I was about 12 years old, my mother started this health journey, so to speak, of her own, where she was learning about whole foods and processed foods and um, how the two uh, different paradigms can produce different results. So she gave up all of her, uh, I won't say that she was into fast food so much, but easy convenience foods. And she started gravitating towards whole foods. Um, she started shopping at a health food store instead of just the grocery store. So uh, she got a couple of things I believe wrong and that she was on a low fat diet. So we ate a lot of microwaved turkey burgers, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to learn to cook because I wanted to actually enjoy the food that we ate. But um, my mother did lose all of her health diagnoses along with about 150 or 160 pounds of excess fat. Wow. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. And uh, she was so proud of herself. My father was proud of her. Um, we all, I'm sure, were proud of her. Um, and so that made a big impression on my life. Now, I wish she would have done some things differently because in the end, she gained back a lot of weight. She had dementia um, and she regained some of her health issues, but I'd say dementia sort of eclipses everything else. And I think there are some solid reasons why we might have that problem. But, um, with that impression from my childhood, I entered the years of marriage and, and having children, and I just couldn't really get out of my mind that, uh, that switch from, okay, we ate, uh, we ate turkey burgers, low fat, we ate, uh, prior to that, we'd eaten hamburger helper, tuna helper, anything as cheap as you could possibly do and none of us liked the food we ate. None of us really felt good, including my mother and my father. But my mother always gave my father butter. So we would have margarine, but my dad got butter. My dad got things that we didn't get, and my dad was a very vibrant man until he died. Um, so all of these things, you know, in your young mind, they float around and you ruminate over them for years. So as a young mom first, and I was a single mom for two years, um, I remember being amazed with my first child that, that my body could produce this child and how can that possibly be? And I didn't even have the beginnings of understanding of what it took to actually create, to make a healthy child within my body. But I was gravitating away from the ramen noodles and the 
skimmed milk and all of that and I had embraced butter and hamburger and real foods um, and I had this beautiful child and then uh, two years later I married truly the love of my life and we went on to have first one more child and then uh, took a break went back and had the plumbing reconnected and boom 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 we had seven more children but in that process I was so interested in health and nutrition and natural healing modalities but especially the health and the nutrition and how to have healthy children so I just kept searching and reading and this was in the days before the internet there were not a lot of books out there there were the Adele Davis books um, there was the uh, how to raise a healthy child in spite of your doctor that book I read and reread several times um, I got my hands on anything possible that would lead me down the path of real nutrition and I started attending conferences natural foods and natural health conferences I I would make my goat milk soaps and lotions and potions and set up and sell them and and I would therefore pay my way to be able to sit at the feet of people who knew all the things that I wanted to know and learn at the same time though I'm trying to navigate all of these different nutrition um, ideologies we still have them today but in the last 30 years I've researched and gone through and tried several until I was attending a conference and I heard the late Dr. Ron Schmid speak about unprocessed raw milk and the research of Dr. Weston A. Price and then it was it was like an epiphany I I sat there listening to him and finally everything made sense so I got my hands on a cookbook called Nourishing Traditions by Sally Fallon now Sally Fallon Morell a friend of mine had been telling me about this cookbook for a couple of years and I kept saying oh I don't need another cookbook I don't need another cookbook oh no no but this one is different so about the same time that I heard Ron Schmid talk I finally went and bought nourishing traditions that is now what I refer to as my nutrition Bible I sat nursing babies in my rocking chair and reading one page after another it's a hefty book um, but I read through the entire book and immediately started applying each and every principle and wow did it ever make a difference in how we all felt and as I'm having all of these children it's making a difference in their physiology as well so I often tell people about um, I can kind of follow my personal health and nutrition journey by going down kid after kid after kid um, in the beginning I didn't know much <laughs> I just had my mother's experience and I was trying to not eat fake stuff but by the time I got down to the pregnancy of my third child which was the first of that group where we repaired what was broken um, at that point in time I was teetering on the edge of what is now called veganism but at that time was hallelujah diet hallelujah diet based on 
the book of Genesis and the Garden of Eden and what people ate, what God gave them and how he instructed them to eat in the time of the Garden of Eden. And I thought, it makes so much sense because everything was perfect then and that must have been the perfect diet, so shouldn't we be eating just like that? But I had this little war going on in my mind where I kept having verses and stories from the Old Testament times pop into my head, like, how about the land of Canaan? It's described as the land flowing with milk and honey. Well, <laughs> those two are things that were not allowed on the Hallelujah diet. Now, I may be remembering incorrectly. Honey may have been allowed, but definitely not milk. No animal foods and no fats, or very low fat, definitely no animal fats. So I'm seeing these contradictions and wondering what's going on here. But I kept on reading and searching. And when I heard Ron Smid, even though he was not talking at all about the Bible and God, it suddenly made sense in spite of that, that these are God-given foods. And as I continued on thinking about it, praying about it, reading about it, I realized that the Garden of Eden is not where we live today. Everything changed when sin entered the world, and it would have eventually, so let's not come down too hard on Adam and Eve. Um, but when they were cast out of the garden, everything changed, including our bodily needs and the, even the environment. I believe that the environment in which people lived is very different now from it was back in the Garden of Eden. So that means that our nutritional requirements are different. They have to be different. And then as I look through and um, I read, for instance, uh, Genesis 1, 29 and, and 30 is where God talks about plant foods. But then by the time we get to Genesis 9, after the flood, God says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky. With everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hands they are given. And why are they given to us? Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So, whoa, what a shift, a major shift. But those four verses tell us everything that we need to know about how we should be eating. God intends for us to eat animal foods, and they're the most vilified, and the most vilified of vilified we'll get to in a few minutes, I'm sure, with fat and salt being amongst those. But... God gave us these foods. He tells us to eat these foods, not just the green plant and the seeds. And I'm not even sure that he doesn't mean for us to be eating mostly animal foods. I'm, I'm on the fence there. I do believe that, um, that we need to eat a wide variety of foods, but animal foods certainly are part of that. So once I came to this realization, it was so freeing. Um, at the time, we lived on a small farm, 
uh, the first of two farms and I had been raising chickens and milking a cow and I was actually feeling quite guilty about eating chickens and eggs and drinking milk because I was thinking well the hallelujah diet you know there's no animal food that makes sense except for it doesn't make sense so finally I'm free and we can enjoy the milk from my cow the eggs from my chicken the meat um, we raised beef uh, at, at this point in time we hadn't been raising our own beef but we began to raise our own beef of course that comes naturally when you have a cow and uh, boy did my family's health ever change so at that point in time where I was pregnant with that third child and I was avoiding meat still drinking milk and eating eggs but avoiding meat and going very low fat and I felt like total there's no other word for it I, I don't know crap I, it just I felt awful you had to peel me off the sofa I had no energy I was sick to my stomach all the time it was just ridiculous but then when the next child was coming along I still was kind of on that path he was pretty close to the the fourth was close to the third I think they were something like 20 months apart um, I was still really teetering on this veganism thing but I had decided that milk must be good however we were still eating a lot of soy and um, I consumed soy primarily for protein when I was pregnant with the fourth child and again I didn't feel good I had a lot of stomach upset and when he was born he was born with gut damage well as I'm learning as time is going on I'm realizing oh soy protein soy soy milk soy protein powder soy everything that's in this food that I'm feeding my family it causes gut damage and this child's gut was developing in my belly while I was eating all of this stuff this stuff that was supposed to be healthy and better than animal proteins and it wasn't it took me about six years to get that little guy's gut straightened out until he could eat everything and he didn't have explosive diarrhea <laughs> it, it was really ridiculous and he had rashes on his face it was just awful but eventually again I found nourishing traditions and heard Ron Schmidt and that's when I when I'm raising this little guy who has all of these digestive issues I'm also reading nourishing traditions and I'm reading uh, nutrition and physical degeneration by Dr. Weston A. Price I'm learning all about his work which is the my primary source of nutritional information is Weston A. Price he he studied indigenous cultures all around the world uh, first as a dentist looking at their teeth and then looking at their bodies he made the correlation that the dental health was a direct re reflection of their physical health and that that directly corresponded to the diet and at his time that he was researching in the 1930s um, our dietary um, habits were changing dramatically people had left farms and countryside and moved to cities they they were eating processed foods it was the beginning of the processed food industry with um, margarine replacing butter and uh, 
processed white sugar and white flour instead of the whole grain and the whole sugars and and uh, canned vegetables instead of fresh vegetables. So everything was changing. It was a very interesting time. It also was an interesting time in that photography came into being and was readily available. So Dr. Price took his camera and he photographed these people. What he found was that people eating their traditional diets had robust health, no matter what part of the world they lived in, and he was all over every continent but Antarctica because Antarctica cannot support human life without human intervention. But every place that he visited, these people were eating a traditional diet that was centuries or millennia old, and they were thriving. Now, did they have some disease? Yes, but their bodies were designed, our bodies are designed beautifully to handle disease, to ward off disease and to overcome disease as long as we put into our bodies what our bodies need. These indigenous cultures were doing exactly that. And while their diets differed greatly, I don't believe there is one diet for all, they had common denominators. Every culture, of course, only consumed uh, wild foods or naturally raised foods, but also they revered animal foods. Now, when we go and look at Old Testament times, we look at the sacrifices, for instance. We look at what God um, or what Abraham fed the, the angelic visitors. Uh, look in Genesis chapter 8. They're fed butter. Um, we see all of these things that Dr. Price found as being important and essential foods for God's people. Well, why would that be? I, I believe that God in his infinite wisdom created us and gave us everything we need to live strong and healthy lives. We're still going to have war. We're still going to have car accidents. And unfortunately, because of how the modern world has eaten for the last 100 years, the last 75 or so in particular, we have multi-generational malnutrition, essentially. And so we are susceptible to disease, but we can turn that around. And the only way we turn that around is through our food choices and our lifestyle choices. These things are absolutely essential. So I've watched my family thrive as we added the animal foods, and we've overcome major illnesses. Um, my husband, about 10, 10 or 11 years ago, came down with really bad chronic Lyme disease. Um, it, he was completely debilitated. He was in bed, and, and this is a hard thing when you're self-employed. He could get out of bed for 15, 20 minutes at a time, and then he'd be back in bed racked with pain. Um, he initially chose the pharmaceutical route. Five months later, um, he was better, but he was still a very sick man. And then we turned to primarily food and herbs as his medicine. We, we had a couple of other things that we threw in there, but primarily we utilized God-given food and God-given medicine in the form of herbs to heal him from his Lyme disease. And that, excuse me, that was 
a very profound thing in our family's life. And if my mother's example didn't stick with me from when I was young, man, this just does. Now, unfortunately, my husband has rheumatoid arthritis as a result of severe gut damage from five months of antibiotics, from which we also recovered him with food and with herbs and just a couple of key supplements. Um, we recovered him to about 90, 95%. Um, but at which time he went and he was working far away, so he was away from home for most of a year, took some steroids, and messed his gut up again. And so we continue with this journey, but as long as he's careful with his diet, he does very well. Um, he had a heart attack a few years ago, and uh, we've been told that primarily that's due to the rheumatoid arthritis, the inflammation and the damage that causes to the arteries and blood vessels. Um, and he also chooses to smoke. It's a hard thing to give up. So um, there again, one of, one of the key things that, that I try to get across to people is you can do this for you. You can do this for your family, but you cannot you cannot make someone else do anything. So I'm just grateful that I have my husband and I take good care of him. And, you know, three and a half years later, he's still with us and he's working and going strong and good food keeps him going. I firmly believe that were it not for our food choices, he would not have survived. He probably would not have survived the Lyme disease much less the heart attack but with good food he does and with god-given food my whole family has been able to continue to flourish um, we now are are awaiting the sixth grandchild and all of our grandchildren are being brought up on god-given food real food there um, there's a picture actually in this in this uh, current issue of the wise traditions journal of the weston a price foundation of our just about two-year-old grandson helping his mommy make bone broth. Um, I just find oh. it super, super delightful. Yeah, she's, she sends me pictures, and she's part of our God's Good Table team as well. I'm very thankful to have her on board. Um, but it's really cool to see how all of our children as they enter adulthood are realizing and embracing what I taught them over the years. They see how much of a difference it makes. When two kids were off at college and they had to eat cafeteria food, they saw, they felt the result. And I began having a, sending them raw milk and cheese and sourdough breads and things like that, which helped significantly once they were able to get that back into their diets. But, um, you know, damage was done. Uh, Dr. Price found that there were almost no cavities in his populations that he visited around the world and that's because strong teeth come they're formed from the inside out not the outside in so as much as we might want to think that fluoride applied topically gives strength to tooth enamel it doesn't food from the inside out is what builds strong teeth um, healthy guts 
build strong teeth and strong bodies. And this is what Dr. Price found. This is what I've found in my own family as well. <clears throat> and one of those children who went off to college had a lot of tooth decay after two years of cafeteria food. Um, even after I started sending him better food, he still had to rely on cafeteria junk, total junk. It's the same stuff that our children are being fed in schools all across America, and it doesn't help them to be strong physically or mentally. It doesn't help anyone to think clearly when they're eating a steady diet of food additives, preservatives, colorings, artificial flavors. It doesn't help them to stay strong and resist disease when they're eating devitalized foods, when they're essentially malnourished, even though they might be overfed. Um, these God-given principles and God-given foods are things we just cannot do without. In this country and around the civilized world today, it's so clear um, I'm 59 years old. When I grew up, I think I knew of one person who had cancer and one person, two people, I think, who died of a heart attack. Um, diabetes was there, but it wasn't everywhere. Autism, I didn't know anyone who was autistic. I knew someone who had epilepsy. One kid in my class had epilepsy, but nobody had autism, and it's not just because it wasn't diagnosed. In the last 40, 50, 60, 70 years, our food has been so devitalized that we are lacking the nutrients that our body needs and our brain needs in order to function the way God intended it to because we're throwing away the God-given foods and instead we're replacing them with devitalized foods. And Dr. Price found this to be so true as he continued to look at the indigenous populations and he looked at their brothers and sisters, sons and daughters as they left and went to towns and cities and started eating white bread and canned vegetables and jellies and jams instead of their native diets. And immediately their health started to suffer. Immediately they began to have fertility problems, birth defects, um, rotting teeth, crooked teeth. All of the indigenous populations on their native diets that Dr. Price studied had perfectly straight teeth and wide dental arches. They did not have any crowded teeth. They had room for their wisdom teeth and they'd never seen a dentist yet or fluoride, yet they didn't have cavities or very, very minute cavitations, but they were rare. But we've changed our food system so dramatically that now, of course, everyone had, I have a mouthful of cavities, um, of fillings from when I was a child. I haven't had any fill fillings in many years, but um, I had a lot of cavities as a child. I had a lot of ear infections, strep throat, and of course went on antibiotics. Um, I have a very narrow palate. I had to have braces. Um, but I'm watching now as children are born with birth defects. They're born too early. I've actually surmised in watching over the years, um, watching many people birthing children, that I think that it's 
seems like it might actually be safer for a child to be born early than to stay within the mother's womb when mother is not providing an adequate diet for herself and her child. And, and that's of critical importance. And I'll just state very quickly that babies are not vegans. You can think that you can get away without eating animal foods and sufficient proteins, uh, animal-based proteins and fats when you're pregnant and that you'll be able to produce healthy children in spite of that. But what happens is those children growing with inside of us take from mama what is needed. And there comes a point when mama doesn't have much left to give them. And I think that's when babies, not straight across the board, but I think that that's a problem with premature birth now is that women just are not eating enough nutrients, especially proteins. And their babies don't have a good chance of surviving within the womb. So they're being born early or they're being born with birth defects. And then women are having problems nursing and you know your breast milk is only as good as what you put into your own body. We have to have animal foods in our diet just like every culture that Dr. Price studied. They all revered animal foods. Now their intake of animal foods varied. There were what we might call pygmy tribes in Africa who were of very small stature but very healthy. They did not eat as many animal foods. They ate primarily vegetables and small grains, but they ate rodents and insects and the occasional small deer, and they were very, very healthy and resistant to disease, and they had beautiful children. Then the Maasai, also in Africa, still grow to seven feet tall. They consume the the uh, blood and the milk of their cattle. They eat the meat. They don't eat a lot of vegetables. So obviously their protein consumption is putting them at the high end of the scale in terms of growth. And they are still very, very healthy. But Dr. Price found that it's really the people more in the middle that seem to have the most robust health, the most resistance to disease and ability to heal from wounds and illnesses that do occur. So that aligns with what I see in the Bible. We do see instructions and examples of animal foods always being important once people left the Garden of Eden. But they also had bread, so they had grains. Now grains at that time, of course, were not genetically modified, which is not the same as hybrid, by the way. People oftentimes say, well, isn't that just like hybridization? It doesn't matter. No, inserting a gene from one organism into another is not hybridizing. It is genetically modifying. And we should not be doing that to anything, anything at all, whether we consume it or not. I believe that goes against God. Um, but beyond that, and I'm kind of losing my train of thought here. Um, no, you're doing, I'm like, I'm just over here. I had to mute myself because I'm like clapping. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what a high five. You're like, this is amazing. This is just right on. And this is exactly when I was at your website. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. We're like sister from another mister or from the same mister. And that would be the Lord. The Lord, but, yeah. Um, um, but it's just so right on and, you know, I'm so glad that you are bringing up this, you know, the importance of animal foods. And that's, that's one of the things that 
I felt very aligned when I um, was reading through your website and some of your blog posts and and um, and I've just I've thought so much about that change from you know um, after after Noah's Ark and how yeah. um, every that was just such a big shift yeah and I've I've just been you know I've thought so much about why I mean I don't know that we really know exactly why it's not laid out you know why everything changed so much after that and then um but i like to speculate about it and i like to think that yeah god just (laughs) wanted to i don't i don't know make things a little bit easier on us and he could foresee our our health needs and that we would need these animal sources of food for more strength and um and you know even looking where we are now the the poisons that people put on plants and it just all of these things he can see the big picture and we cannot but um but I do um I'm so glad that you're bringing that up because I feel like I talk I talk up meat so much like I'm a meat champion and I don't my husband we sell grass-fed beef my husband's a cattle rancher and so I don't want anybody to ever think I'm doing it because of that it's just that I feel like there needs to be more voice for the importance of animal foods because there's such a plant-based narrative being pushed and um, just like you said you know I think a lot of Christians are really seeking to eat the way that God intended us to and like that hallelujah diet there's a lot of books like that that you know we started in the garden of Eden so that's obviously what we should be eating but that's not where we stayed (laughs) it's not where we stayed everything changed and you know God knew that things were going to change and that's why he designed us the way he did So look at our body. We have canine teeth. The only purpose for canine teeth really is ripping meat apart, right? I mean, we can, even in our modern diet, including meat, um, we still use those canines primarily for meat. We do have molars to macerate. We have incisors. We We have different shapes of teeth that fit together perfectly to consume a wide variety of foods. So we're not like a mountain lion that has just those big, sharp teeth. We're also not um, not like a bunny rabbit or, or a cow that only has the bottom set of teeth. Just starting from our mouth and then continuing on down through our digestive tract, we can so clearly see, if we just are willing to open our eyes and look, that our digestive system is 100% designed to consume meat and other foods, but definitely to include meat. We, we produce hydrochloric acid, which breaks down fat and protein. Um, we have a short alimentary canal. Um, we have our colon, our large colon, and our, rather our large intestine and small intestine. That is very similar to, for instance, a pig or a cat, in which they're eating mostly animal foods and the foods travel through the digestive system in a much more expedited fashion than an herbivore. An herbivore, say a cow, a goat, a sheep, even rabbits, um, they have a much longer digestive process. And part of that process is that they go through multiple digestions. Uh, In some cases, like a cow, it's a four-chambered stomach, and they regurgitate the herbs that they're eating and they chew they chew their cud Um, rabbits most people don't know this but rabbits eat their droppings 
and then they go through the system a second time. That's all part of God's design for herbivores. It's very difficult to extract nutrients from grasses and grains and herbs, but it's very easy for us to extract nutrients from meat and dairy products and fats, which are super important. So our digestive systems teach us that we're meant to eat more than just plant-based foods. And, you know, I'm, I mostly eat keto right now because I have a, a weight issue that I have to manage carefully, um, but I still eat my fully fermented whole grain organic bread, and I'll still eat a baked potato or something like that now and then, and I love rice or quinoa. I just don't eat a lot of it, but that's because of my damage from growing up on a highly processed devitalized diet which harmed me and then several years of not living the way that I should uh, that of course caused more harm so I am my body is in a physical state which needs to be repaired it's we're in a continual state of repair as long as we're living anyway but I believe that because of how we've all been brought up how our mothers ate how our families ate when we were young and for most people now how people continue to eat we're damaging our bodies when we need to be healing so generation after generation of eating a healthy normal God prescribed diet and not only are you improving your own health but you're improving the health outcome of your children and grandchildren and, and so on on downstream so it's really important to understand that now God gave us a lot of rules too about uh, you know what to eat how to eat for instance not to eat uh, flesh with the life in it that is the blood uh, blood can carry disease and we need to you know properly handle our animals and he gave a lot of instructions for how to slaughter animals for that very reason so we need to drain the blood some cultures today eat blood and I've eaten blood sausage it's it's in the French cuisine I've had it a couple of times um, but it's cooked and uh, it's been a very occasional thing I'm on the fence maybe I won't eat it next year actually I haven't had any in a few years um, but he also gave us instructions about what kind of fat and this is where I'm really kind of on the fence right now, and I'm doing a lot of study and prayer about this. Um, toxins that are consumed by an animal are stored in the fat. And the more I learn, the more I understand that these toxins are processed through the kidneys and the liver, and then, of course, we excrete some, through our, our urine and our bowels, but what can't be excreted is stored in the most saturated fat. That saturated fat, what, what we might call leaf fat for pigs and cattle and such, um, that's the fat that's the most dense and is concentrated around the organs. I find it interesting that God wanted that fat for himself. When we look at the sacrifices, um, he expressly stated that he wanted that fat to be given to him and burned on the altar. 
I don't know that that means that the priests and their families didn't get any of that fat, but God found that good enough that he wanted it. And yet he also gave some admonitions against eating that kind of fat. But I think that the key point is how, how are those animals being raised? Um, in biblical times, people were not to eat uh, shellfish, smooth-skinned fish, pork, and of course not birds like vultures and ravens. Those animals are the cleanup crew of the earth. So vultures and catfish and so on, they eat, um, they consume carcasses, dead carcasses. So uh, I heard a lecture many years ago about how vultures are actually responsible for keeping us free of the vast majority of diseases that we might otherwise be exposed to simply because they eat carrion, carrion that is often diseased, and their digestive systems leave a, when they excrete what's, what they have digested or what they can't absorb, it's toxin neutral, I guess is kind of the way to put it. Hmm. Um, and, and that's just a whole other area of biology and physiology that is fascinating to me, and I'm not claiming to understand it all because I don't. But I do understand that God's admonition to his people, the Jews, not to eat pork and not to eat, uh, in particular, certain seafoods is because those creatures were created to clean up. However, it, I'm gonna, I have such new appreciation for vultures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. They're so, we think they're so ugly and they're always the villain Gross. in the movies, you know. Yeah. And yet, like, every creature is here for a purpose. God created this world, our environment, and us just perfectly. Everything has a purpose, including those ugly vultures. Now, I am really eager to ask God when I get to see him face to face. What about ticks and fleas? Are they just to make us long for heaven? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I have roaches. not figured that. And roaches, yes. Oh, they're so disgusting. Oh my. Um, but oh my gosh. I'm of the belief that there is a purpose somewhere. I just don't know what it is. But um, as far as these forbidden foods, there was a very real purpose. However, just like there was a big shift from Eden to Noah, there also was a big shift um, after Christ came and ascended back into heaven and the apostles were walking about and teaching. Um, you know, we have Peter with the vision of the sheet with the unclean animals coming down from heaven and God saying, take and eat, all, all is clean, all is good. I don't believe that's just a metaphor for you don't have to be an Israelite or you don't have to um, convert to Judaism to be a Christian and to be saved. I think that is, that is a metaphor that was intended for people to understand, that, that Peter and the Jews needed to understand that. But I don't think it's only that. I do think that, that these, the intention is also that we can now eat these things. They're no longer forbidden. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's wise to eat them. 
and here is here's the factor that differentiates between what I would today consider unclean versus clean and that is how are these animals being produced and again let's remember that fat harbors toxins when you are raising animals and pork is a prime example in a building confined to a very small area their entire short life they don't get to go out and as Joel Salatin would say express their pigness but instead they're confined in these little cubicles there's a lot of filth and they're being fed nothing but genetically modified heavily toxin sprayed feed which is not their natural diet and it's loaded with toxins I mean this is some of the worst stuff you can possibly eat so no we shouldn't be consuming that kind of meat I don't care whether it's a chicken or a pig don't eat it your body is going to take in those toxins and have a very hard time getting rid of it and then it's going to depress our immune systems and we're going to experience cancers and metabolic syndrome a lot of things that are brought on by the chemical input of today's modern agriculture but when animals are raised naturally the way that my family and I used to raise our animals the way that I see Joel Salatin and Justin Rhodes and you know a lot of other people that I know um, when you see people raising animals that way in their natural environment it's an ecosystem that keeps everything clean and it heightens the health of the animal but it starts from the soil the microbes in the soil the plants that are being raised the cycling of animals plants and then eventually people it's uh, it's almost like epigenetics in a different way if you feed the soil and you handle that properly the way that God intended for us to do I mean he gave us instructions about farming too um, you rotate animals and you rotate crops you're building soil health you're building vitality from the soil up you're growing then uh, Joel calls himself a grass farmer and there's a, an organization called Stockman Grass Farmer and that's that's their whole intent is that you're growing grasses and herbs that in turn feed animals that in turn feed people when you have this ecosystem going right as per God's design you're going to have clean food that is full of good nutrients that our bodies need and we we just can't get away from that that's that's the way God designed the system that's the way God designed us when we differentiate from God's plan in anything we're asking for trouble so yes I'll just bring up the point too like you were saying earlier about um, the digestive system of you know cattle the ruminants you know mm -hmm. the ruminant animals which is what we are recommended to eat and it's you know they do have this this extended digestive process that is you know takes in these grasses and things that we cannot process but we get the yeah. nutrition through them but it's also kind of a cleaning mechanism and they're yeah. they're just um, you know a lot cleaner of an animal to eat than a pig or maybe a chicken with this monogastric 
um, digestive system. And so, I, yeah. again, to, to have, like, red meat so vilified today is just mm. alarming. Um, and then to have all of these fake meat, you know, products. It, it Which just, are so, they are so oh, fake. They are made oh, with chemicals. So they are made, mm. by the way, they, they actually are not meat-free because they do use, um, they culture amino acids from, I think it's calf blood or calf flesh, I don't remember. But there actually is animal input in the fake meat burgers. The Beyond Burgers, um, even though they're not grinding up meat and putting them in those burgers, they're actually culturing amino acids from mm -hmm. beef. And I don't remember the process, I'd have to look it up again, but I've read that several times. I've read a couple of pretty well done in-depth papers about that. Um, so you're still, you're not being truly vegan if you're eating a Beyond Burger because there actually has been animal input. Um, I don't eat pork every day. I'll tell you, I could be a vegan if bacon and butter grew on trees. I'd have to say bacon and butter. And bacon and <laughs> butter together are wow. Um, <laughs> fantastic. We had a question a couple weeks ago um, from somebody, what's better than butter? And I just, I couldn't help but be satirical and laugh what's better than the only thing i can think of that's better than butter is bacon cooked in butter but <laughs> <laughs> so i eat some bacon and i'll eat some i'm very 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 careful about my sources but i eat some bacon and i i'll split a, a pig or take a whole pig about once a year with a, one of our daughters that still lives in pennsylvania she, uh, we'll just buy meat together. We'll share an animal. So I'm eating some pork and feeding it to my family selectively. It's not coming from a factory farm. It's coming from a pasture-based farm where the pigs are not being fed genetically modified feed. They're not having any chemical input whatsoever. They're just eating a natural diet. And then the interesting thing is that if you eat it with sauerkraut, the enzymes in the sauerkraut seem to mitigate any um, anything negative coming from the pork. There have been, um, Beverly Rubick years ago did a study about that, a blood analysis, and that article can be found on the Weston A. Price Foundation website if you just Google um, or in their search engine, look for Beverly Rubick or blood changes in pork and you'll see that consuming the right foods um, actually can mitigate possible negative factors and this is one of the beauties of food i have found in my years of i'm a self-taught chef um, i do some small-scale catering and, and manage our i'm the chef consultant for the wise traditions conference um, in my studies and practices in my own kitchen, I have found that the most nutritious foods taste the very best anyway, without MSG and flavor enhancers of all types. And then they, other foods complement. So the proper foods complement one another. For instance, pork and sauerkraut. Um, Sauerkraut should be a naturally fermented, not canned, unheated condiment that you eat with a variety of things, but especially pork. 
So even in the foods that previously were not recommended for God's people to eat, I think now if we eat them and we combine them with delicious things like sauerkraut, that we're mitigating any negative effect. But if I were eating pork every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I think that might be overdoing it. So for me, it's just an occasional thing. I, I love uh, shellfish. I source mine from either wild-caught or um, select coastal farms that do not cage and do not feed an unnatural diet. And there are a few out there. Um, Vital Choice Seafood is one company you can look to for a wide variety of seafoods. Um, um, Wild for Salmon in Pennsylvania has salmon and roe. There are a few companies out there that source wildly or uh, a few coastal farms that farm without the soybean meal and all of that, that unnatural diet. So you can actually get good seafood. But again, like pork, I don't recommend eating it every day. Let it be a treat. We just had some absolutely fabulous prawns and grits a couple weeks ago. and. I'm telling you, just thinking about it makes my mouth water. But I drink the brine from sauerkraut, or I'll eat the sauerkraut, and that acts as a cleanser and detoxifier in the digestive system. So anything negative, I'm flushing out of my system, if there is a negative input. Um, But I want to talk a little bit, too, about the importance of the fats and salt, the two things that are vilified even more than red meat. I mentioned the Genesis 18.8 passage. Well, we'll start at verse 7. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now, who are these people that are eating? They're Abraham and Sarah's heavenly visitors. Why would they be serving something to angels or someone from heaven if if it wasn't the best thing that they could possibly feed them? They would not give them something that God forbade. They would only give these visitors the very, very best that they had and the very best that God provided them. So that includes a fattened calf, and it includes curds or cheese, and milk, and butter. Butter comes in there as well. Um, the, the thing is that while we're saying fat, especially saturate, saturated fat, is bad, there are fat-soluble nutrients that are only found in fat. (laughs) Obviously, that's why they're called fat-soluble. Well, why is this important? People talk a lot about vitamins and minerals and the need to have vitamins and minerals. But the thing is, without vitamins and minerals together, without the fat-soluble vitamins, especially A, D, and K, we cannot even utilize the minerals that might otherwise be in our diet. So you can eat a mineral-rich diet, but without fat, it's not going to matter. 
because you're not going to be able to utilize much of the minerals that your body needs to build and rebuild anyway without fat-soluble vitamins. And one of my biggest pet peeves is how the vegetarian and vegan community talks about, well, eat, eat carrots for vitamin A and eat dark leafy greens for, you know, all these other vitamins. But you can't get vitamin A from a carrot. There is no vitamin A in a carrot. So understand, we have to have the fat-soluble activators, which in this case includes vitamin A from butter as an activator or from animal fat of some sort that activates within our body the precursors, which are beta-carotene, carotenoids, in order for us to convert to true vitamin A, we need fat-soluble activators. These come from primarily animal fats. So we're not getting the benefit of the nutrients in even the most beautiful organically grown vegetables if we're not eating fat with them. There's no vitamin A in a carrot. You're eating your dark leafy greens raw they're rich in oxalic acids, so hello kidney stones, and goodbye nutrients because you're not steaming them or lightly cooking, sauteing, and serving with bacon fat or, or, or butter or lard or tallow or whatever. We need the fat from the animals in order to build the nutrients that we need in our gut, in order to incorporate the minerals in our diet. It's necessary. And the other thing that is really important for human health is salt, also so vilified. But when we look back through human history, we can see where from the very beginning, salt was critical. Wars were fought over salt. There has always been a salt trade and God placed salt everywhere on the earth so that anyone living anywhere could always have access to this most vital of nutrients. But salt is not intended to be consumed as purified sodium. Salt needs to be whole and unprocessed. For instance, Redmond Real Salt, which I, I use primarily in my kitchen, it is salt from the ocean, I believe from the time of Noah and the flood that settled and it's encapsulated in the mountains of Utah. So it's pristine, it's free of toxins and it's simply mined and it's left intact. So it's not purified sodium. It's a multitude of minerals that bind with sodium, including chloride, sodium chloride. And all of these minerals work together. They work synergistically within our bodies and within our soils and within our waters. I, I toss a handful of sea salt into my koi pond about once a month. I sprinkle a little salt on my, on my vegetable beds. We need it from the ground up, but it must not be pure sodium. Purified sodium is wonderful for the chemical industry that needs it for particular chemical reactions. For chemical reactions within our bodies, we need not just pure sodium, we need the associated minerals that are part of the package as God provided it 
when you consume purified sodium, your cells, the cells of the human body, want to tighten up. You know, every cell has the pores, and we've all learned about osmosis in science class. Well, when you consume purified sodium, the tiny pores of the cells tighten up and close, and that prohibits the free exchange of nutrients and, um, and waste on a cellular level. So you get edema. You get high blood pressure because fluids can't move freely throughout your body. You get a multitude of problems. But when you consume unrefined salt, it opens, it keeps the pores open. It, it encourages osmosis. It prevents edema. When my husband had a heart attack, he was told by his very knowledgeable functional medicine practitioner, eat more salt. I'm actually lately reading even more about salt and realizing I need more salt. Um, we all need salt in our diets, and I believe that we should salt our food to taste and use salt liberally. Don't be afraid of it, but it has to be unrefined. So Redmond Real Salt, Celtic Sea Salt is another brand that I use a lot of. But there are others out there also, the, the point being it must be unprocessed. Um, so God gave it to us. Our bodies are designed to need it. Don't be afraid of it. Um, mm -hmm. Those are my those favorite too. The Redmonds and the Celtic sea salt and the Celtic yeah. salt. So good. Yeah, yeah. Um, we also use Baja Gold from time to time, and uh, we had that at our Wise Traditions conference last month. Um, but always from a clean source and completely unprocessed. So Celtic sea salt is harvested by, uh, there are channels cut from the ocean and then ponds, clay line ponds in the north of France. Um, so they open the channels, I think twice a year, and they allow the salt water to come in, they close the channel and then it's solar evaporated and people actually walk about along the edges of the, of the ponds with um, a wooden sort of a rake, a salt rake, and they rake it back and forth as it's drying to turn it over. The lightest, flakiest salt that initially comes to the surface is harvested, and that's called fleur de sel. Um, I have some Malden sea salt that I like to sprinkle on the occasional dessert. That's that first light, airy salt. But then uh, it, uh, Lima is another brand in Portugal. They do the same thing. They cut the channels, the salt is brought into small ponds and solar evaporated, and, and it's essentially then um, evaporated, handled only with um, hand tools, and then bagged and sold as unrefined sea salt. Um, perfectly good for us. I've had salt from all around the world. It's really fun to, to taste and sample. Um, I had some from Peru that a friend gave me several years ago, and that was wonderful. But your salt needs to be unprocessed. So let's not vilify salt. Let's not vilify fats, especially things like butter and tallow. And, and yes, I, my favorite fat besides butter actually is probably duck fat. I love frying things in duck fat. Um, and then our red meats, all of these things contain nutrients that our bodies are designed to take in that we cannot in the long term do without. So I guess the the kind of parting thought in all of this is that 
I've known many people who have said, oh, I've been a vegan for 20 years, or, or so-and-so has, has a child, they're a vegan, and their child is perfectly healthy. Well, let's look at the long-term health effects. Let's look at these children. Are they being born um, with narrow palates that need to be widened with braces and palate expanders? Um, are they robustly healthy and resilient to disease? Do they have excellent fertility generation after generation? And the answer is going to unequivocally be no, not generation after generation. I always tell people who are vegan now and who are apparently, quote, healthy, thank your mother who brought you up on animal foods because this doesn't work for two, three, or more generations. It just doesn't work. God gave us food. God designs our bodies. He, we are, my favorite verse, I'm just going to jump to it, is. Okay, do your anchor verse now. <laughs> yes, um, Psalm 139.14, and it's on our homepage of our website. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Those were the psalmist's words glorifying God for how wonderful his body was created. And I always go back to, if I have a creator who made me so beautifully and perfectly, then shouldn't I be following that creator's blueprint for health? And I mean in all things, including spiritual health, definitely. But my realm that I deal with is physical health. And I defer to my creator when deciding what I'm going to eat, how I'm going to heal, and how I'm going to feed my family. I defer to him because he's a lot smarter than I am. He's been around a lot longer. And he created everything, including me. So he's, he's the one that knows what's best for me and what's best for us. So I am always going to look to his word. And everything that I learn and have learned for the last 30 years from many books, many speakers, many conferences, uh, and many one-on-ones with holistic health practitioners, but especially through the Weston A. Price Foundation and the work of Dr. Price, everything I read just jives beautifully with biblical dictates, and so I have embraced all of it and will continue to preach this far and wide to anyone who will hear because we need this now more than ever mm, that is the truth I, and that i'm so glad that you have been here with us today you shared it so beautifully and um so passionately and i i love for the audience to hear it over and over to hear it in different ways and um Thank you just so much for being with us. I can't let you go, though, until now I have to hear your anchor meal. <laughs> what, is, what is your go-to healthy meal? I love your anchor verse. What is your anchor meal? Well, my, my most favorite meal ever is, is just a good grass-fed ribeye. But what I fall back on very frequently and never tire of is a good brined herb-roasted chicken served with roasted root vegetables that I puree with cream and butter and nice seasonings. And I top it off with a little kraut and a side of sourdough bread. And I like to finish it with my favorite panna cotta. Oh, so. Okay, hello, my mouth is watering. <laughs> it really is oh. a good meal. It never disappoints. Oh, that sounds divine. Well, 
and that's a good segue into before we leave, you know, you teach classes um, mm-hmm. and tell, tell us more about what you do and how people can find you and those, those things that you offer. So we do have a lot to offer on our website. Um, we have some classes. You can purchase classes one by one or we are revamping a membership platform which we're, we are wanting to make very accessible, uh, very reasonably priced, so that you can have um, whatever education you want. I teach people how to cook. I teach people how to overcome illness using God-given foods and herbs as medicine. Um, I teach people how to do sourdough bread and ferment anything that you could possibly ever want to ferment because fermented foods are a super important part of the puzzle here, of the health and nutrition puzzle. Um, We are doing some in-person events uh, we are scheduled to be at Polyface Farm next August for our second event. Um, we are doing a two and a half day event there whose theme last year was um, nose to tail nutrition. This year, however, well, 2023, um, our theme is either going to be just God-given food or food as medicine, but we're also planning on a couple of other in-person events that we've yet to schedule probably in Tennessee and possibly um, Kansas City, Kansas next year with the theme of food as medicine. I really want to delve into helping people heal from all of these modern ailments that we have using food as medicine. And for those events, I'm bringing in people, doctors and practitioners who I know who believe in all of these principles and teach the same things and want to help people. So the Polyface event will be Friday and Saturday, August 11th and 12th, and then on the 13th, we have a special worship session. And Joel, Joel Salatin will be our preacher. We were totally enthralled with his message this last time, which can be found on our YouTube channel and on our website. So if you go to godsgoodtable.com, we have quite a bit to offer. Um, We do have the blog, we have uh, links to our YouTube channel, and we also have a, I think it's a bit shoot channel, I'm not sure. Um, I did an interview with Del Bigtree a year ago that immediately was taken off of YouTube. Um, So we also opened up the bit shoot channel for that purpose. But we're on Facebook and we're on Instagram. Please go to our Instagram page and like us and follow us. It's, It's so important as we're trying to build a business but we'll always be announcing things there. And as a matter of fact, today is Ask Me Anything Day. So if you go to our Instagram page, um, I believe you can ask me anything you want and I'll answer it. Oh, I love that. And yes, I wanna encourage everyone to follow follow you and to find you this message that, um, that you are putting out there and that I'm trying to um, get out into the world is just is just all about real food the way God made it and that the creator yeah. of our bodies knows the perfect food for our body um, yeah. and that the more that we stick to that the healthier we'll be and that's that's the bottom line right yeah yep yep it is that exactly so important and I I do praise my creator for I am fearfully and wonderfully made and I seek his wisdom and his guidance every day of my life um I, my goal is just to help people. That's what I believe I'm here for. So I'm going well, to continue. You. Yes, yes, and thank, thank you. you. Um, I know that just 
hearing this message from you today is helping people and I'm so appreciative and, and just so grateful thank grateful to God that we finally have been connected and I hope we stay connected and yeah um, continue um, just to help each other you know yeah. um, grow grow this movement it's um, it's really it's getting more and more important more and more vital um, it, it is but another part of God's beautiful design is that he didn't create us to be solo he created us to be community and build community and you're part mm -hmm. of you and I are part of that community trying to affect people's lives in a very positive way and I hope that people see Jesus in all of it as I do yeah same same yeah. girl same yeah. <laughs> oh wowzers well um Thank you so much for being here and y'all go to God's good table. And just, I loved that we, we talked today about the things served on God's table, the table he has offered us, the food has, he has offered us. Um, it is all, it's right, it's right before us. You know, we talk about healing and we talk about, you know, praying and asking for God's help and healing. And, and the question I always want to ask and what I always tell people is, are you, are you receiving what he's already offered? Yeah. Um, it is right there. So I will leave you with that. And y'all go check out Maureen at God's Good Table. And thank you all so very much for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week. And I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.